Our series these days is called Courageous, and we all want to live courageous lives. We all want to live phenomenal lives of great faith. But what happens in life is oftentimes we get started, and then something happens that shakes us and makes us wonder, do I have really what it takes? We doubt ourselves. That's a good thing, because then we run to the Lord, and he comes through, and we run to him, and we pray, and we say, God, I'm in a, I'm in a pickle, or I'm in trouble. And, and he says, yeah, I know. I, I designed that so you would run to me. And we run to him, and he, he pulls us out of the pit, or he rescues us, and we know that full well, and we remember that. And that builds our faith. And that's what I want to talk about is how God uses the events of your past to build your faith with stones of remembrance. I have in my hand a little bracelet. Um, this bracelet was made with like Christmas apron, uh, uh, ribbon. Um, I'm not sure, maybe 15 years ago, a long time ago. It is a, what we call a wordless bracelet. And I was in the Dominican Republic and I was a sponsor for a teen mission trip. And, uh, and this one little jewel here, these are just little plastic rings. And this one's, my heart was black with sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood, I know, that's the red jewel, was washed my heart white as snow. And, I'll, and the end of it goes, and I'll know I'll walk the streets of gold. It's, it's the wordless bracelet. For a kid who can't read, he can't get the gospel if he can't read. But So we made the gospel in bracelets. We made, I don't know, a few hundred of these that week and told the gospel story over and over again. And when the week was done, we had a few extras, and I put one in my pocket, and it's become for me a, a kind of a remembrance piece. I hang it in my inbox at my office, and it reminds me of the kids who came to Christ, who are now adults, and the churches that we helped in Dominican. Very, very poor country if you've ever been there. And it reminds me to pray for children in third world countries in general. And it, it serves as just a visual reminder, not only to pray, but to remember God's faithfulness and to remember God's goodness and grace. And the heartwarming uh, that took place in my own heart as I flew back from that trip with a group of kids, and we, when we flew back, I was profoundly changed. If you've ever been to a third world country, you are profoundly changed. There's a part of you that will say, oh, I can leave my shoes, or I can leave some clothes here. It just changes you, and you don't want to let loose of that too quickly. So it is when God has God moments for us. He doesn't want us to lose them. So he gives us what we call stones of remembrance, and that's where we are today in our story in Joshua, the story of courageous living. Joshua chapter 4. If you have a Bible, go with me to the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua, and then chapter 4. And Father in heaven, I pray you'd seal to our hearts now your truth. May it burn in our, so we know it to be the truth, not because it was presented by anybody in particular or a particular place, but because it's your truth, because it's settled forever in heaven. Thank you. Now we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What God does is he gives us in the Christian life little small victories. And what that does is it builds the muscle then for greater victories. Because you know he's faithful here and he helped you here. He'll help you there. And we, we build on those. And those become memory points. I think memory is really a gift from God. Memory postures us really for better days ahead. It helps us build some confidence for days ahead. Knowing that I walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore the Lord, I know he will be my friend. He'll be my helper. 
but it causes me to stay in the place of his provision to know uh, this is the place I need to be because the Lord is here. We pick up our story, Joshua chapter 4, but um, if you're new to the series, understand this. Uh, God's people were chosen right out of the get-go. First book of the Bible, God chooses a people called Jews, Israelites. Um, why does he choose them? I'll tell you why. Because he's God. People ask me that all the time. Why is Israel God's chosen people? Well, because he can choose what he wants. He's God. If it had been up to me, it'd be English or Germans or something else, you know, but he didn't pick them, just pick Israel. He has the right to do that. Israel ends the book of Genesis being in slavery. Don't want to go there, but they end the book with slavery in North Africa in a country called Egypt, called Egypt even today. That's the story of Genesis. They get out of that through a series of miraculous events. That's the book of Exodus. And God gives them the law, his holiness. That's the book of Leviticus. They take a census of the people and tell their story. That's the book of Numbers. And then before they go into the promised land, they rewrite this story, retell the story, and they remember all that God had said. That's the, that's the retelling. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Now they're ready to go into this land that God has promised them. That's the story of Joshua. When we get to the book of Joshua, what happens is before they go into the promised land, Joshua doesn't say, sharpen your axes, sharpen your swords. No, he says, sharpen your heart. And the way we got to this point was this. He says, the only way we're going to take this land is if we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. We talked about this a week ago. Consecration is the number one job of those who follow God, and particularly those who believe in Jesus Christ now, now that Christ is coming, is to devote ourselves to the Lord and wash not only our clothes, but wash our hearts. The Lord will do amazing things, Joshua said, but we have to do it with clean hearts. Consecration is not where it ends. That's just where it begins. Then he wants us to walk in obedience. Walk in a way that would love him and honor him. And don't ask for victory when, when we're not walking in obedience. I'm reminded of that, of a story that came to me with an old friend of mine. His name is Ron. Ron is about ready to go to heaven. He's in his 90s. <clears throat> when I met him, he was in his 60s. He was already retired. Ron had been a missionary in Argentina. He planted like 40 churches in Argentina during his lifetime, in his 40 years. He just planted churches, started house churches, and built buildings, and he, he was just a great guy. I said, well, tell me how that happened. He said, well, I went away to Bible college, to seminary, to, to go uh, to plant these churches. By the time I knew him, he was already retired from doing this. He said, but when I started, I got into Bible college, was headed to seminary, and World War II broke out. And he said, guess what? I got drafted. He said, um, but see, I only know World War II based upon our victory. But he said, yeah, it's your perspective. He said, when I went to World War II, I didn't know if I was going to come back. I said, so did you go for a deployment? He goes, we didn't have deployments. You went to win the war. And he said, I didn't really go to win the war. I said, what'd you do? He said, I went to survive. Oh, that's a different perspective. He said, I wanted us to win, but even more than that, I just wanted to come home. Being really honest as a soldier. I, I said, tell me your story. And he had a nick in his hand, a, a chunk, and he says, there's a story to this I'll never forget. And Ron holds his hand out. He said, my job was to guard um, a station, and in that station there were, there were uh, not only munitions, but there were food supplies for the front lines. And his job was to walk sentry at that at night. And the only problem with it was, is he was hungry, and he knew there was food like eight feet away from him. And as he walked his circuit, he knew that no one would see, no one would know, 
but he almost took food. And he knew as a young seminary student who'd been pulled out of seminary, and now he's walking with God, but now he's walking duty in uh, Northern Europe as the Allied mar uh, forces march forward. He says, uh, I, I wanted so badly to eat, I was so hungry. And he said, and it occurred to me, yet I was praying to God for safety. And he said, it occurred to me, how could I pray to God for safety when I was willing to steal food? He said, I, I can't ask God's favor when I'm not walking in his way. And he said, as I was conflicted in that prayer, and he said, I was about to steal the food while walking that duty, he said, um, a piece of shrapnel blew not far from us. They were trying to get the munitions. And a piece of shrapnel blew far away, and it shattered over his way, and it hit him in one place right there. And it scarred him for life. He was lucky it didn't go to his heart. It would have killed him if it hit his heart. But it hit his hand. He bled, and they bandaged it, put stitches on it. But it's a big scar to this day. And it serves as a reminder to him that I can't ask God for his favor when I'm not walking in obedience. And Joshua tells us that same story. Don't expect God to bless when we just want to do what we want to do. Consecration, obedience. Then we see God work. Then we see God do the miraculous. And the God thing that he did in chapter 3 was he parted this Red Sea, or, or the Jordan River. He parted the Jordan River in such a way that two million people could cross in a day. Can you imagine that number of people crossing? It's a miraculous thing. That's how we got to where we are today. Now, we're in chapter 4. And I think there are miracles upon miracles. Let me give to you six miracles within the miracle. Right? Yeah, there's like the big miracle, God parts the sea. But within that, they survived 40 years in the desert. They could have been mowed down, taken captive, pushed back into slavery. The fact that they were survived and not annihilated, that alone is a miracle. Secondly, the fact that they could tread the uh, flood stage waters. The priests showed up and they walked directly into the water. That's a miracle. I'm not sure... You could find people that gutsy today. These were gutsy priests of the day. That's a miracle that they did that. And then that the river stopped flowing. That's a miracle. This would be breathtaking. This would be a holy moment. By the way, when you get this many people walking through this tunnel now that's a, a water, a wall of water, and it's dry land in between, that many people, and the river backs up for miles, flooding cities all the way to the north. If anyone ever questioned the, the almighty nature of God, that question was resolved. Even if you weren't a believer in God, you'd say, yeah, they're in touch with some higher power, that's for sure, because he can stop a river and let two million people through. So it, it isn't just the stopping of the river, though. It's even the timing. The fact that as the priests put their feet in the river, the river stops. And if you were not God-fearing, let me tell you this, if you were not God-fearing, you would become priest-fearing. You'd wonder, what what did they have for breakfast? I want that, you know, because it's incredible. And then the, the miracles that they crossed on dry ground. They didn't cross on muddy, silty riverbed. No, they, they crossed on dry ground. And there was safety for them. I, I find it amazing. You know, we can't empty a building today without someone getting injured. You know, there'll be, something will happen. Someone will fall down. Something will happen if, there's, if a building needs to be exited. The fact that so many got so far and we didn't lose any, that's a miracle. Now, Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, so here it is, it's the Lord speaking to Joshua. 
Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing, and carry them over with you and put them down the place where you'll stay tonight. Stop there. This is God speaking to Joshua. 12 guys, one for each tribe. There are 12 tribes in Israel. 12 stones. They're going to go to the middle of the river, not the edge. We're not going to pick this up off the shore. We're going to the middle of the river. Uh, there, were, there were a group of artists that were at the Louvre, which is the French museum, art museum. And they loved all the art of the Louvre. You know this story, right? But they asked the artists, if the, if the Louvre were burning down and, and it were burning down, you were running out of the building, which piece of art would you take? And they all said, the one closest to the door. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, if you were to pick a rock from the Jordan River, you'd pick one from close to the shore. They didn't. They went to the middle of the river where the priests were. And then they grabbed the 12 stones, they carry them over, and they're going to take them where they're going to stay that night, which is about eight miles away. So Joshua, verse 4, called together the 12 men and appointed them from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, now it's Joshua speaking, just the very words of God, go over to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you will take up a stone on his shoulder. These are big stones. It's not a pebble in your pocket. A, a, a stone on your shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. That's why they have it. It's a sign. Get that? In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Those, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Get that? Forever. End of verse 7. This is a sign, not only for you, but it's going to be for your children and your children's children. You see, the rocks remind us that the Lord provides. We, we got here on this property only because the Lord provides. We got here only because of a miracle. We wouldn't have made it without the Lord. We know, before, but anybody else knows, the Lord provides. Number two, the rocks remind us that he is worthy of our trust. They're entering a risky land. They could have been attacked as soon as they crossed they're newcomers, they're, they could be beat, they're down, they've been traveling, they, they don't have reinforcements, don't really have a military. They're entering the riverbed, they're totally in the hands of the Lord. You're going to ultimately trust the Lord, or you're not. And this is the day you ultimately trust the Lord. I once heard of a man who said to his wife as he was going in for open heart surgery, he said, this is really cool guys, write this one down. He said, this is, he's trying to comfort his wife. He's in for this bypass. It's risky surgery. Not everybody survives. And he said, honey, don't worry. This is the happiest day of my life. She's, he's trying to comfort her, and she's trying to comfort him. He said, honey, don't worry. This is the happiest day of my life. She said, it is. He said, yeah. He said, because either I'm going to die and go to heaven, what's not to like about that, or I'm going to live and I'm going to come back to see you. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. What a way to go into surgery. These people put their hands, their whole lives, in the hands of the Lord. When you're crossing through that river, you're, if ever you were to pray yourself well up, that would be it. Would it not? If ever you were to say, oh God, I hope this works, this would be the moment. This is purifying. This is consecration all over. I, I think it, what it does is it purifies their own hearts. 
And what it does is it helps us trust the Lord, but not only that, it, it help us, helps us to know that the Lord knows our problems, our, our challenges, and he is trustworthy, and that he cares. The 12 rocks will always serve as a reminder that the Lord came through and he did not let us down. Verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal in the eastern border of Jericho. So after they crossed the Jordan now, they'll have marched about eight miles. That's a long way, considering they've already gone a mile across the river, probably a mile to get up to it. They've, this is a big day for traveling this many people. They'll go across the, the, the eastern border of Jericho, and then verse 20, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones he had taken out of the Jordan. He begins to stack the rocks. And this is becoming a memorial. This is becoming a, a, a piece. This is where the kids are going to come back to. People are going to come to this place. And he said to the Israelites, verse 21, in the future when your descendants ask the parents, what do these stones mean? You tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. He dried it up before us in, uh, until we had crossed over. I, I, have you ever been to a you ever been to a major river where it's been going a long time and the water's coming out of the, the mountains? And I think of, of um, you know, upstate northern Colorado or southern Wyoming, Yellowstone or Estes Park, Colorado, Yellowstone, and, and go to the Dakotas and into Montana and go south to Colorado. Uh, the riverbed there, have you ever noticed this before? River rock is, is smoother. Have you ever had, noticed that? because of, of so much water flowing and grit coming over just almost polishes the rock. I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder at times when they set those rocks eight miles from the river, they would say, these rocks look different than the rocks at Gilgal. What's the deal? Well, these are smooth. These came from the river, but not just the river. They came from the bottom of the river. This would serve as a huge monument not only to the Lord, but to his faithfulness and to his care, to, to recommend to you and me, we can trust the Lord. We would not be here apart from a miracle of heaven. Now verse 24. And he did this, get this, so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You might always fear the Lord your God. There are two purposes for the stones. One is, so all the people will know, get this, God's powerful. We have to make sure we get this. He did this as a miracle, not just for the Israelites, but for the whole world to know. And sure enough, the story boomeranged around. The story gets around. Everyone's going to know they crossed the sea. They did the same thing they did 40 years ago. And you know what they'll say in Jericho? They'll, they'll say, our hearts melted when we saw the water part. Big city, big walls, big army, didn't matter. Our hearts melted when we saw they have supernatural power. There's an almighty God on their side. So the purpose of the stones, number one, is that, that all the world will know God is powerful. That's not all. And that you will, you might fear the Lord. That you would take God seriously. You would fear him, honor him, revere him. And if you don't remember that, you're going to go down. 
So the day you, be, you fail to remember just how good, how incredibly great, how much provision the Lord gave, the day you let go of that is the day you start the decline. Now, this is a wonderful story, but I want to jump ahead just for a moment and tell you this. They did that for a number of years. And they remembered what the Lord had done. They told some people. But then they stopped telling the story. And you know what happened when they stopped telling the story? Joshua will die, end of this book, end of the book of Joshua. And by Judges, it doesn't take long, by Judges 2, it says, not far, the very next book, only two chapters in, it says, and those leaders died off, and there was no memory of them, and there was no memory of God. Two chapters, folks. My word to you is this. If you do not tell the story of the faith and how God has worked in your life, if you don't pass that along, it will die with you. It will die with you. So a couple of takeaways. First is this. Choose what you will remember. You can build memorial to failures and let them define you. You can build a memorial to the things you hate about life and that will box you in. Or you can choose to see the hand, the provision, the power, and the holiness of God. But only you can choose. And so you have to decide, what, what are the memorials going to be in my life? What are going to be the memory points in my life? If I, if I have a picture on my wall, is it to something greater, grander, or is it to something less and more defeated? But here's the second takeaway. We cannot remember what we do not know, what we never knew. We can't pull into memory something that just isn't there. Have you ever had this discussion with a person and they remind you of something and you say, I don't think I ever knew that. You ever had that discussion? Sometimes I'll forget something and Mondo will say, you remember this, we did that. I don't remember. And then it comes back slowly, oh yeah, I do remember that. Other times I'll say, you know what? I never knew that. And we'll talk about what we know and what we don't know. You know you could be close to something and really not know it. And spiritually that happens all the time. In a little bit we're going to go to the Lord's table and when we do, we will remember the Lord's death until he comes. But if you never knew the Lord, let me tell you, you can't remember the Lord if you never knew him. When we observe the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says this way, this way, for what I receive, I pass on to you. It is of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus Christ, he died not to be a martyr, not for world peace, not for a, a, a better economy or to turn over the government, none of those things. He says, I, I am dying, and he says in the scriptures, he says, I, I'm dying for your sin because we've all missed the mark that Jesus Christ died for our sins and it says according to the scriptures just the way in other words just the way it was predicted and that he was buried again just the way it was predicted and that he rose again according to the scriptures and that he was seen 
by Cephas, Peter, and the twelve. This would be easy for it to slip past us, that Christ died for our sins. Do you, do you have memory of that in your life? Because if you don't have memory, there's this chance that you have never really encountered Christ yourself. You may say, well, I, I know a lot about him, but I've never really trusted him myself. Well, today's your day to open your heart to trust him. Do you believe that Christ died for you according to the scriptures? Do you believe he was buried, that he rose again? If you've never made the commitment to follow Christ, you don't remember that, I think this is a great day to make it, to seal that deal and know for certain. And that he appeared is not just affirming that he appeared, it's affirming to the people. This really happened. In other words, when Jesus rose from the dead, they couldn't say, well, someone stole the body. Well, okay, the body was walking around and eating food. Okay? This is not a dead body someone stole. This is a living body. And it's just that real. And I'm telling you, that's how real heaven is. See, we don't think of heaven as real because we haven't been there. Okay? And... And so I, I want you to know, if you don't have memory of this, this is critically important that you get this. Some of you say, well, I'll just try harder. I'll just work harder at being a better person. I'm telling you, that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe, that you just work at it harder. And there's no way you could possibly do it because God is holy. And even if you don't sin very much, if you live to be 70 years of age, you sin once a week, Man, that's a saint sinning once a week. That's 50 times in a year, right? I mean, that's thousands by the time you die. Think about it. It's, it's not imp- it's, if, you went, if you went into a judge, you know, you go to the, to the court, Charles County Court, go in there, you have a speeding ticket. How many do you have? 3,500. Is he going to let you off? No way. No way. He, he wouldn't say to you, well, okay, I'll let you in, but uh, when you're in heaven, please don't speed so much. No. No judge in his right mind would allow someone with that many offenses to get by. God, our Father in heaven, doesn't allow one, and yet we're going to have thousands. Therefore, the only thing you can do is turn to a merciful God who says this, for it's by grace that you are saved through faith. I have to just trust him. It's only his goodness towards me. I trust him. It is a gift of God. All I can do, what do you do with a gift? You receive the gift. If I hand you a pencil or a pen and you take it, that's a gift. You receive the gift. Now what do you say? I've taught to say thank you. So I receive the gift and I say thank you. That's all you can do with that. It's the gift of God, not of works. Why? So nobody can boast. If you've never come to Christ, let me encourage you. Receive the gift today. Trust him today. Remember him well. And for those who are inside the family of of God, uh, make sure you pass along the faith, tell the stories of the faith, build the memorials of the faith, and use the past as a building block for a wonderful, great, faith-filled future. Let's bow together for prayer. Right where you're seated, you might be at the point where you're saying, I'm ready to trust Christ. I don't know how to do that. It's really simple. In your own heart, you just tell God, God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Christ as my Savior. I need him to be mine. And I, I allow him into my life. I want him in my life now. Open your heart to him. 
for, for many of us in the Lord, in, in, in the room, Lord, we would say, no, we've trusted Christ already. But there are times when we don't have the victory we'd like because we aren't building on the memories of great steps of faith. Creating us not only a clean heart, but a right spirit, Lord, that we would walk in such a way that we would remember your goodness, your greatness, and we would choose to remember the right things. Some of us need to just create some memory hooks around the house, in the car, at the office. Reminders to pray, reminders to be thankful, reminders to be gracious, reminders to be forgiving, and so, uh, Lord, this week is a project for some of us to build a little monument as a memory because we want our lives to be transformed, changed, and we don't want to give it up. We don't want to lose it in this generation. If you're trusting Christ for the very first time, uh, I, I say welcome to the family and the angels in heaven sing. And I just encourage you to tell a friend. And, and uh, at the close of the service, there'll be prayer up at the front quarter. If you want to pray, you're more than welcome to, but you don't have to. But you're always welcome to step up and pray. Father, bless these dear people, particularly as we head to this season where we say thank you for remembering just an incredibly uh, good God that you are and giving to us Christ. May we remember him well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.